Hello, and welcome to the High Street Community Church Podcast. We're so excited you're learning alongside us, and we pray this message leads you closer to the Lord and others. High Street Community Church is simply a family of friends following Jesus. God bless you as you listen. Yeah. Can we put that uh, slide up there? That there you go. A fisherman's guide. Lenny is right. I do get passionate about fishing, but even more so about fishing for people. And I trust that you do too. Actually, a number of you talked to me after that message, and then in the meantime, and said, "I love this topic. I'm terrible at it." So excited that we're going to equip us, and we actually have, um, I'll be preaching today, and then we have two other experts. We have an expert um, river fisherman, Not, I don't actually know if he can catch fish in a river, but, but the analogy of reaching out to our community as a church, and then an expert fisherman in lakes, and how do you reach to that kind of subgroup, how do you reach that niche outside of your comfort zone? Um, that, so the next two weeks, we have guest speakers that are the best. I'm so excited that they've agreed to do this, kind of last minute, because it was, hey, let's do this series, and I thought, these are two people that would be great at this, and they've said yes, so I'm super excited. I'm excited about today. Today will be great, too, but you got some really good fishing guides coming to teach us. So um, one of the, uh, there's two images, the two biggest images about um, Jesus in the Bible are the most popular image is that he's a shepherd. And I don't know that this is what a shepherd uses, but I'll just say, it's probably something like this. I always think of it as a hook, but how many of those shepherds really can find a piece of wood that has a hook, or do they bend it or whatever? So it'll probably look more like this. And so, and like I have said, a majority of the um, messages and, and even my time spent here has been doing this, shepherding our church, and there's a mending piece that I'll read a, a passage pretty soon that talks about a church is to equip or mending, it's the same word. And that means bring you to become fully who God's called you and made you to be. It could be mending like a healing thing, or it could just be bringing out God's goodness in your life. So that's what a shepherd does. They protect, they provide, and they direct. And this is an image um, of Jesus is our shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Um, and then Dave found a passage, you know, in, it, what is it, uh, Psalm 23, your rod and your staff. They, so this is the staff, and I'll go get the fishing rod. They comfort me. <laughs> Blame Dave for that. Okay, so here's the fishing rod. So the disciples, if we look in that passage, actually go ahead and put that up there. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, and this is when Jesus calls uh, Andrew and Peter to come follow him, you know, and he says, I'll make you fishers of men, and there's two key verbs in there that happen, and there's Andrew and Peter were casting their nets, their nets, I'm casting a fishing line, zing, trying to catch fish. And the other two, James and John, were mending their nets. They had been fishing, and when you fish, stuff goes wrong or needs to be fixed. And so they're preparing their nets to catch more fish. So as a church, we're the body of Christ. He says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. He shows us how he caught men. He's going to be doing this mending and fishing rhythm. And so I'll put this here just for a visual. Mending and fishing. Some of you like mending better. Some of you like fishing better. And guess what? We do both. 
And that's a good picture for me to see. Okay, shepherding, you know, we love to come to church and be with our family, but as we're fishing, we're going to bring new people in here, different people, and it gets, and we're going to do awkward, uncomfortable, hopefully not awkward, uncomfortable things that like, oh, you know, worship like this, or our church is feeling like this. Guess what? When you bring new people in, you got to do different things. And so if we've been largely more of an equipping and shepherding church, and we're saying we need to now go on the offensive, not that we haven't done it all, but much more in a major thrust to say we want to be a church that's casting nets, that's fishing, bringing, we're going to have, you know, a change sometimes is uncomfortable. So that picture helps me to go, that's a picture of the cross, right, which is where all the action is. And we have this rhythm of mending and fishing. We're mending so that we can fish. God's called us to be a church so we can fish, not so we can just be here together and feel good. That's a good thing too. In fact, we need it. We need mending, but we, well, we're not just to be mending and sitting in here, right? You get, you get the picture. But I love that picture, and it helps for me as a visual. Fishing and mending. Um, I didn't read that passage. You put it up there. I'm going to read it. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. And we put a lot of energy into really diving into that word, follow me. What does that mean? What does that mean for us as a church? So that's the first call, follow me. And then that's our part. And then Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, people catchers. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Mending and casting crosses our image. Today, we're going to be talking about fishing in our local creek. And that's, you know, I'll give the picture, I'll tell the story, I'll bring out my little homemade fishing pole again, and we'll look at how that works. But the concept, don't get lost in the fishing picture, it's just to help us to realize what we're doing. We're fishing for those closest to us. So that's going to be your family, your closest friends, and maybe some associates. It could be a next-door neighbor. It could be somebody you work by. People that know you really well and that you know really well. How do you catch that fish? What does that look like? And then the next four Sundays that are left over in March, we talk about fishing in a river, bigger context, our community, a lake, the ocean, and then the last one is catching a fish from the store. And that mirrors... That whole process mirrors Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit gives you, or comes upon you and gives you power, and you're going to go tell people all over the place, here, 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 and here. That's, where, that's what we're talking about in these next weeks. But uh, before we do that, and, and people have shared this with me, and, and I, I think it, when we talk about fishing, like people love fishing, you can narrow it down to an instant. Why do we love fishing? Bam! Right when you get that hit, that just gets your heart going. It just, electricity goes through your whole life or your whole body. And the same thing is when it comes to fishing for people. I mean, there's good things about, you know, relaxing on the, but, but when you get that hit, that's what it's all about. Fishing for people, when somebody, and especially someone close in your life, the lights go on and they, they understand something about who God is, who Jesus is, and the love that God has from when they, they're like, oh my gosh, I understand grace. You know, they read a passage that we read with Lenny, and it makes sense. There's nothing better. There's nothing better when they say, I want to say yes. I want to turn from walking my life my way. I want to turn to Jesus. That's the deal. And that's, that's invigorating when you get a hit like that. 
is, is what we're talking about. And that's just the charge alone is worth it. And then there's a party in heaven and all that good stuff. God just loves us and, and wants us to be involved in that joy of fishing for people. So if you're excited, be excited. As you can tell, I get excited about this. If you're scared and some of you confess, I love this topic, I'm terrible at it. I'm not very good at it. That's okay. You know, when I, I've told you stories about how I've taken people serving, they're usually scared. They usually don't know what they're doing. And I say, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm taking care of these things. A good fishing guide, the same way. I'd love to go fishing. I have no idea which end of the rod you're supposed to hold. <laughs> okay, let's start there. The fat end, okay? And that's what it's like fishing for people. And so if you feel, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I know what I'm doing, that's okay. But don't pretend. Ask for help. You know, especially there's people in here, we're all fishing, and we can share stories. In fact, we're going to hear a story this morning of how someone in our uh, church family has been fishing. And you'll think, oh, that's a good idea. I'll try that technique. There's tons of different techniques that we can learn. But the one thing you need to know the most, and this is in that passage, Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, or when Jesus says, go make disciples, he ends it with, I will be with you always. So if you're concerned about fishing, He's with you, fishing with you. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to not know what to do, but you're not by yourself. He's with you, and that gives me a lot of peace. Let's pray. Father, we, we got to remember that, number one, you catch the fish. You just have invited us along. So we have no need to be worried, scared, frightened, confused, bored, tired, you're with us. You are so loving and you love to share. You love to share your story, which is so good and wild. And for some reason, you've written us into your story. And that reason is love. You love us. Forgive us for our fears, for our apathy, for our resistance. And we claim your promise that you will empower us. You'll equip us. You'll mend us. And we choose to turn, face, and follow you, and we count on your promise to make us fishers of people, all people. In Christ's name, amen. So um, I told you about Andrew and Peter, and I want to look at that story. There's a, a couple different interactions where they meet Jesus, and I want to look at John chapter 1. So I'll turn to that, and we'll probably put that up on the screen. John chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. And Andrew had been following John the Baptist, and then he, uh, that's how he heard about Jesus. And it says, one of the two who heard John, this is verse 40, yeah, you have it, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. A couple things pop out there that you might miss from the first glance. Andrew finds Jesus, and the first thing he does is go find his brother. And he tells him. He says, Peter, we found him. And he didn't just stop at telling him. He brought him to Jesus. That's fishing in your own pond right there. That's it. That's it. I found Jesus, and I'm going to go tell the first people, usually the closest people, and it's his brother. That's who he's always fishing with. I'm guessing that's his closest friend. 
That's his closest acquaintance, is Peter. So he goes right to Peter, tells him, brings him to Jesus. That's our call. That's fishing. And by the way, Nathaniel, another one of the disciples, was brought to Jesus by Philip. Probably friends. People are bringing people to Jesus. And then we look in Acts chapter 16, uh, verses 14 to 15. And we hear of an instance where Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're going out um, and they're by this river, first river fishing story that we're going to come across, but I'm not going to teach on it. As tempted as I am, river fishing is next week. That's what they do. And so starting, I'm going to start actually in verse 13. I'll just read it and then 14 will be up there. It says, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. So these women were there at a place of prayer, and Paul and Silas and Timothy speak to them by the river. So they're actually doing the river fishing. Again, I'll leave that for next week. But we get on to where Lydia does some creek fishing. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Paul is telling her the good news of Jesus. And after she was baptized, so she hears the good news, and then she's baptized right after because she believes it. And then look what it says there. And her household as well. She was living in community, and it wasn't just a household, just her family. It was probably a household, like there were servants there. There were, you know, maybe other older, you know, adult children living there, that kind of thing. It's a whole household, and she's telling them this good news. They were already in relationship, and they're baptized as well because she's told them the good news or she's brought them to hear the good news, and the whole household was baptized as well. And she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. She probably was pretty wealthy and had a big house and took good care of them. And her whole household said yes to Jesus, turned to Jesus. And then in, uh, we'll go, we're talking about Timothy there. We'll look at 2 Timothy, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And he talks to Timothy about something that's um, right up the line with what we're talking about this morning. 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul writes to him, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first, there's that word again, in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So Timothy is a pastor. Paul's writing to him as a pastor, teaching him how to be a better pastor. And he, he points to his faith. And he says, I'm sure of your sincere faith. By the way, it was first in your grandma, and then it went to your mom, and then the faith went to you. That's a normal, natural. In fact, as you look at statistics, uh, one I came across this week was they were very generous on the low side. They said 75 to 90%, I believe it's even higher, of people that come to Christ that become new believers in Jesus, that is because of a relationship in their family or their friends. Did you hear that? So if we put on a big outreach, a big conference, or people to church and they'll hear me speak God's word, they'll probably convert because of you, because they've seen your life and they hear the story in your actions as well as your words. Just statistically speaking, I can't say what God will do. It doesn't mean we don't do church, we don't do outreaches, we don't you know, send kids to camp like Snow Aces, that kind of stuff, where they can hear the good news without being rushed or distracted. But the fact is, statistically speaking, so I don't need a raise of hands here, but do we want to catch fish? Nearly all of our fish are going to be caught individually by you in your creek. 
We'll still, we're going to, I'm passionate about river fishing, lake fishing, ocean fishing, and the store. All those things are amazing and they matter. But this is the one where the fish are caught. In our family, in our close acquaintances, in our friends. This is the place where that happens. Most people, in fact, the translation, most people are caught alive into new life in creek fishing. So I want to tell you, just by way of illustration, again, I've already done this a few weeks ago, but I'm going to talk a little bit about creek fishing and my experience of growing up creek fishing in Gibson Creek, Ukiah, California. And um, I put some good bait on there, some scripture. <laughs> and I told you that in my creek, there were, um, there were all kinds of little pools and uh, rocks, and it you know, had waterfalls and stuff like that, and a lot of trees, and so a regular fishing pole wouldn't work. And, and some of the, we learned this, but some of the local kids who were there before me taught us that you know, if you just get a little stick like this, you know, about this long, it won't get caught in the branches, and you put a little bait on there. We, we would put a little hook and some cheddar cheese balled up and squish it on there. Sometimes the cheese fell off, and the fish got a free meal, and then he wasn't interested the next cast, so he had to move on to another hole. But I knew this creek backwards and forwards. I knew that below my house, we lived on a couple acres just on the edge of town, and this creek, Gibson Creek, flowed into the Russian River. Again, I'll talk about rivers next week. I'll leave it alone. But the Russian River where Gibson Creek flows into it, up to my house, we lived on Stanley Avenue, and there was a bridge that crossed the creek to go up towards our house. So from that bridge, I know that there's another bridge foundation about 30 yards up the creek. There used to be the bridge there. I guess it must have washed out years and years ago. And then about 30 yards up from that, there's a giant hole where the biggest fish I ever saw in there, I'll tell you that story some other time, in a hole that we called Big Rock. And then there were some rapids, and then there was a skinny part of the creek where there were trees that you could walk over. I'll go over this whole creek. I know it backwards and forwards. And then a big pond that was shallow but quite large. And then there was a waterfall that came through the center of a redwood trunk. Can you believe that? Like a pipe. And then a flat gravel area. And then there was a barbecue area where they had built a cement rock wall, and there was a waterfall of that. Then you keep going through that. You bank to the right tons of blackberries in this section. Another big log, rock wall. There's fish in that one, too. And then there's a big, long stretch where there's a giant, I think it was brass or copper pipe that came from an old fish hatchery, which there's records of it. If you look it up, a fish hatchery at the top of our creek, of Gibson Creek, and then the foundations for that fish hatchery. This, I described you maybe a quarter mile, and I could have told you tons more about it. I'm there in my mind. I wish I was there right now. It's so fun. But I knew this creek backwards and forwards. I knew every hole. I knew which ones had fish and which one could handle a bigger fish and how to get to each one. And so what you would do, if I was walking up the creek, you're walking through all these bushes, and you're keeping your pole next to you. By the way, the baptismal is full. Another church is using our sanctuary to baptize someone later this afternoon. So I'm going to fish. So you're you're coming up. I should be careful that i got to be quiet by the speaker. You're kind of creeping up, trying not to stomp, you know, make too much noise. And you can see, oh, there's the big pool that's right by the fish hatchery. I want to fish here. And you put your line just the correct length because it can't be too short or too long. And I'm trying to be quiet, and whoever's with me is surely making too much noise. Quiet. My sister, I would take her all the time. She was good at catching fish. And you get over the pond, and you kind of swing it back and forth as quiet as you can into the deepest point, and you drop it in. Bam! You get hit right away. If there's a fish in there, it's going to hit it right away. In fact, if it hits it and doesn't get it, you try again, chances are they're not biting it again. 
You say, well, I got a hit. You could sit there and wait, or you could go up to the next one. And that's how you got that pool. And you'd hike up to the next one and the next one and try and do that. That's creek fishing. I told, now you guys are all going to steal all my fish up there because you know how to catch them. <laughs> know your creek. I spent a ton of time there. That's what we have when it comes to our family and our friends. We spend a ton of time. We know them inside and out. You got to know your creek. I spent... Um, a lot of time, and I explained, I knew each hole. I knew which way to, to come in from it if you came in from this side. You know, maybe the trail wasn't on that side, so you couldn't come on the other side. You'd fall into the pole. There were certain ways to approach each one. Um, and I even, this is the funny part of the story, I even caught fish. There was a, a season where we had a water tank that used to be the water for our house until we got on the city water system. So we had a big water tank. It was painted white on the inside. Uh, we would use the water to water our gardens and fruit trees. So pretty big, you know. I don't know, maybe at least five, 10,000-gallon tank. We would catch a fish, put them in a bucket, carry them up to our house, put them in this water tank. So we had trout in this water tank, and then we started thinking, you know, I was feeding them cheese, and my mom's like, hey, we can't do this. You're going to use up all our cheese. So no lie, we went to the farm supply in Ukiah, and we bought Purina trout chow. <laughs> Big sack of it. I'm like, people do this? <laughs> So we fed those fish. We had them in that tank for three years. So they were like a pet. And it really fits the picture here because we're trying to catch people alive and bring them into a new life with Christ. But here's the funny thing. Those fish turned nearly white because the bottom of the creek was dark brown. They're always dark brown from the top looking anyways. And so they were a lot. So when I threw them, I didn't really notice. You know, I can't say they turned white. They turned whiter. But after three years, and I threw them back in the creek, you could see them the whole time. I'm like, you're not going to live very long. You're not camouflaging there. But they became holy. That's what I'd like to say. New fish in Christ. So my question is this. What's your creek like? I knew how to fish in my creek. I knew it backwards and forwards. You take me to another creek, I might do okay. But I knew mine backwards and forwards. Me and just a few kids that lived around there, we knew it backwards. What's yours like? You've got to have a whole different technique, maybe, or a whole different strategy of how you do it, and you need to know um, yours backwards and forwards. There's some general things that we can all take together on this. Know your people and let them know you. Time, experiences, they see your faith in action. In fact, that's one of the things I love about camp ministry so well is that you put a, you know, a college kid as a counselor in a cabin with students and you can't fake it for very long, your faith. You know, they see your, your mistakes, they see, and, and then they can see whether your faith is real or not. They'll see the highs and lows. And you don't want to underestimate the power of weakness. Sometimes we always think we got to show people our best side only or where we're strong. But when you share something that you're weakened or you're struggling with or you're growing with or you even need to confess, that's powerful. That demonstrates grace to them instead of, well, I'll never aspire to be as good as them. Share your weaknesses as well. And then ultimately what we're really after here, and this is, this is by far the best strategy to catching fish in your local pond, is just love them unconditionally. You know, when I wrestle with thinking about how to love my kids, and I believe this is God's spirit, always tells me, love them how I love you. And I understand God's grace quite a bit. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> but I want to love them how I love you. You got this big 
big giant bank account of grace that we can write checks off from God's grace. God has forgiven me. He forgives me every time, all the time. Loves me. I don't know everything. I don't do everything right. And he fully loves me. Love your kids that way. Love your spouse. Love your neighbors. Love your closest friends with God kind of love. Because he's forgiven us, we can forgive them. That kind of love is powerful. Catching a fish, especially, I knew this as a, in a creek, you got to be patient. Probably catching any kind of fish, you got to be really patient. You just got to keep trying. And especially those fish, family and close friends, it takes years. It's long. It's hard. As I'm talking about this, I know you're thinking of people in your life that you're like, oh, I just wish, I just wish it was simple as throwing a piece of cheese in there and pulling them out. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's years and years. And the, the reality is God doesn't force us. He gives each person an, an opportunity to choose yes or no, to say yes to him or not. Philip in Acts chapter 8 was surprised when an Ethiopian was asking him spiritual questions, had the book of Isaiah open and was like, I don't understand this. Philip was ready. He was ready to give an answer. Are you ready? Do you know the scriptures? You don't necessarily have to know them backwards and forward, but do you know enough to explain the good news? Uh, Paul tells, tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2, be ready in season and out of season. I mean, don't just be ready, you know, for me as a pastor, don't just be ready on church to come and preach. Be ready on Monday, on your day off. That's actually what I run into the most people that don't know Jesus. I'm out surfing or hiking or biking or going something. And those are the people that don't know anything about God. I got to be ready then. Ready season and out of season. And then use good bait. I picked this on purpose. Um, not just because we did this and it was really a, a, a great um, season for us to do all in, but there's scripture on here. Use good bait. There's scripture on here. This basically says, you want to live the right life? Love God with everything you got. And then out of that, love your neighbor as yourself. That's good scripture. That's the, like the lawyer said, what's the whole purpose of life? Right here. People are asking what the purpose of life is. It's, scripture communicates that to us. So use good bait. In fact, Isaiah chapter 55 uh, 10 and 11 says this about using uh, Scripture being good bait. Verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, and it, but it will accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. You've heard that phrase before. God's word doesn't return void. So this, the picture of me in creek fishing, when I, because many times, you know, you put this little cheese in the hook and you throw it in there, and then the, you, as soon as it blops, the cheese just falls off, and the fish nails the, they don't like the hook, they just like the cheese. They eat the cheese, and I'm like, oh, what a waste. Well, this scripture is saying, you know what, even if they get the cheese and they don't get caught, or they don't say yes, it's accomplishing a good thing, maybe give them a taste for cheese, right? I don't know, but God says, I will do with what I want to do with the Scripture. When you put out Scripture, when you explain God's good news, using Scripture, this is what God says in His Scripture, it doesn't come back empty. There's profit. Good things happen. That's what the Scripture said to us. The main thing we do, yes, we use good bait, and this came up in that passage, is we bring people to Jesus. Bring people to Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't physically, you know, a person that we can bring him to right now. So what does that mean? Like, one way, you bring him to Jesus in prayer. 
but you tell them about Jesus, and Jesus is a real being and a real person that you can talk to. And the best way, I think, of not only just talking, say, have them read them about them scripture, or you read scripture to them, or tell them the story. So you're bringing them to the person of Jesus. And here's the story that we want to share. I mean, think to yourself. I, I know I've been in this situation where, could I tell the good news in a minute? Could I tell the, the story of God redeeming us in a minute, 30 seconds? I don't know how long it'll take, so I'm going to do that. In fact, if anybody is here hasn't heard this good news of Jesus Christ, listen up, and I'll share it. First thing that always comes to mind when I want to share the good news is God is good. He's a good God. He created everything. He made you. He made me. He made the world, and he's good. He's loving. At his core, he's good. And then when I think of us, we're created in his image, so that's a good thing, but we've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled. We've all, we're all broken. We all need mending. We need a savior. We need a rescue. We're all dead in our, in our sins. So there's God. He's awesome. We're not. We're needy, and, and most everybody can recognize that. That scripture we read this morning was beautiful in explaining that. But God is so good, he gives us a solution. He gives us a rescuer. He gave us Jesus, who was fully man and fully God, lived on earth in a perfect uh, life, and then went to the cross on our behalf and died. And by dying and, re- and rising again, he conquered death. Death now loses, and we can have life. Since we're dying on our own, he says, I will rescue you into life, if you will, because he won't force us, if you'll but say yes. If you repent, which just means turn and face him and say yes, take my life, be in charge of my life, live in my life, inhabit me and direct me, and then from there, life is with God instead of apart with God. That's the good news, that we're apart from God, we're lost and we're dead, and with God, through Jesus Christ, we're alive. That's the good news. And anybody wants to believe that, I would love to pray with you even right now. Or the other interesting thing is this morning, I mentioned that the baptismal is uh, ready. It's ready for a baptizing later this afternoon, a church is going to do it. So is there anybody in here that might want to be baptized right now that says, I want to tell everybody, I want to tell public that I want to say, I've said yes to God. I mean, that's what Lydia did when she heard the good news through Paul. She's like, I want to be baptized. In fact, my whole household believes this and we want to be baptized. On the spot, they're baptized. I didn't bring any extra clothes, so if anybody says yes, it's going to be a, a wet equipping hour. But is there anybody that wants to be baptized? And if not, we can do it some other time. But I thought, hey, it's full. I'll make the invitation. And even after the service, if you want to be baptized, we'll get people in here and we'll do it. But the first, when it comes to catching fish in your local pond, the first, the middle, and the last thing you do is pray. You pray for these people. You pray because, number one, it's good for you to remember who's catching the fish as God is. But he calls us to pray. He says, pray for these people. Put them down on a list and remind yourself. Pray. Say, God, 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 please bring them into relationship with you. Please give them new life. And you do it alone. I say first, middle, and last. You just do it throughout. Prayer is the best thing you can do to catch a fish. Because on our own, we can do nothing. So with this series, I thought, you know what, it'd be great if we just heard some stories. You know, not just me and my fishing stories. And I I love to tell stories. Hopefully they're helpful. But I thought each time I'm going to try and get somebody, or maybe a few people, to tell their story from our church community. So Linda has agreed to tell us a story about fishing in her pond. So Linda, come on up and share with us 
your fishing story. I called my daughter to touch base with her and see what would be a good gift for me to bring for my grandson who's about to turn 18. So I was in no way prepared for the spewing of angry words that came back over the telephone. <laughs> Evidently, he had, shall we say, slipped and committed some stupid mistakes. And she, my daughter, was livid, would be the best way to put it. And he had committed enough mistakes that graduating was now not a sure thing. Hence the level of mothers being livid. And she was really counting on the fact that when I came to the birthday party, I would sit down and read my grandson the riot act. <laughs> and I thought, I have no interest in doing this. So we finished our conversation and I hung up and the first thing I did was sit down and say, Lord, I don't want this job. I don't want to show up at a happy event like the death angel and, and you know rip this kid a new one. I'm not interested in that at all. And so I prayed and I said, Lord, I'm not going away until you give me an answer. And so I prayed every day and the third day I prayed, I got an answer. He said, I want you to write him a letter. And I said, okay, I can do that. All you have to do is give me an idea or tell me what to say. Because if I'm doing this in your name, I'm not freestyling, okay? I want you to just spit it out for me, okay? And then I'll, I'll use your words because your words tend to have lots more power than mine. So that's how I want that to go. So I'm waiting and praying, and since it's um, the time when they have uh, the big um, celebration for the NFL, and you get to see all these guys that have been nominated for these honors at the end of the season, and I always watched it with my dad, so I couldn't wait to sit down and watch this uh, Hall of Fame ceremony. And there were 11 guys in the, in the class that year, and most of them came up, put a binder on the, on the podium, and started reading their speech. So I just fast forward through it because it was very dry. And we got down to the last guy in the Hall of Fame class, and his name was Brian Dawkins. He was a safety for the Philadelphia Eagles. And he came up with a post-it note that had 22 names on it, no binder. And I thought, this I want to hear. And he was a very dynamic speaker who had been through a lot in his life. He contemplated suicide. He dealt with depression. And in every one of those instances, he took that challenge to God and said, I know you can heal me. Uh, I love you, I serve you. And so the first person he talked about was his grandfather. And after he shared about 
his grandfather and how his grandfather had helped him through all the dark times in his life, he made a statement that just stopped me dead in my tracks. And he looked at his grandpa and he said, you have greatness in you. And this is a black man who's from a revival church and they have whooping pastors and all kinds of good things. So there's movement in this presentation that he's giving. He's moving back and forth and he's very animated. You have greatness in you. And I just stopped. My blood ran cold because that was the theme of my letter to my grandson. The only problem was I didn't know what the greatness was. I mean, you need several examples. <laughs> that would be helpful. I had none. So I went back to the Lord and I said, it's really cool what you want me to do. He has greatness in him. I have no idea what that looks like. So I'm praying, I want you to tell me, and he laid it out. And by the time I finished the letter to my grandson, it was three pages long, typed. I used large print, so it wouldn't be overwhelming. And I proofread it, and I gave it to Ed to look at, and he read it and refused to proofread it, but he said, this is awesome. And so I took it and I put a $100 bill in it because he is 18, and if there's money, he'll read anything that's connected with the money. So you have to be wise in all this. So I took it to the party, and oh, the other point of information that would be helpful is that my grandson isn't small. <laughs> He's been checking how tall I am ever since he was 10. And he's taller than I am now. He's 6'5". He plays competition volleyball and tries to kill people on the other side of the net. So I always try and stay on good terms with him, which has me nervous about this conversation. So I get it all together, and we head over. And they are, we've finished lunch, and his mom is ready to move into the birthday present time. And I said... I just need a moment with my grandson. And she said, okay. So I called him over and I said, could you just sit on the sofa for a minute? I have something I'd like you to read. And he said, okay, Nana. And I said, and, and I'll just sit here on the arm of the sofa, if you don't mind, so that if you have a question about anything that's in the letter, then you can ask. And he said, okay. So he opens up the letter and the first thing he sees is the $100 bill. He doesn't even take much notice. He puts it to the back and he reads through the whole letter. And he gets to the end of the letter and he springs off that sofa with such speed that I'm totally taken by surprise. And I find myself gripped in this bear hug and I can't breathe because he's six foot five and I wish I were. And he's hugging me, but he doesn't say a word. He just holds me. And I'm thinking, wow, he got the message. He got the message. There's greatness in him. There were 10 different 
paragraphs in that three-page letter that talked about the greatness in him and how he could use that. And so after the hug, we went back in. We had cake and ice cream and had a good time. And he went back to school and he made some pretty big changes. And it wasn't long before I got a message from my daughter that he had cleaned up his mess sufficiently that he was going to graduate. And this was going to be a big deal. So I started praying and I said, Lord, I followed all your directions. I did everything that you want me to do. Now, this is what I want. I want this kid to have the biggest ovation at graduation so that he knows I messed up. People do that. I cleaned up my mess. Not everybody does that. But I did, and now I'm graduating. So we go to graduation. It's a huge graduation because it's Christopher High School. It's brand new, and it, it's the biggest quad I've ever seen in my life. And they're, you know, they go across the stage. The kid will hand the, the uh, card. They give them three-by-five cards, and the kids get to write their name on the card, and then they give it to the counselor. The counselor will read it. They walk across the stage, get their diploma, and then come back around this way. And so my grandson's in line, and he walks across, hands the card to the um, counselor, and nothing happens. The mic goes dead, so you can't hear his name or anything like that. And I'm standing in the crowd, losing my mind, going, I, hello, you know, are, is anybody up there? I said, this is what I wanted. And this kid really needs it. And it's silent. So he walks all the way down to the end, down the stairs, and heads back to his seat. And he gets right in front of, you know, the counselor would be up here. He's on the ground floor. He gets right in front of her, and the microphone flips back on. And she announces my grandson. And it sounds like a World Wrestling Federation match because the mic is much louder than she thinks it is. And she, she says in a really loud voice, ladies and gentlemen, like, she didn't say that for any other kid. And he's right there. He looks at her kind of surprised. She yells his name, and the entire quad stands up. And I burst into tears. Because God follows through. God gave my grandson the biggest moment of his life after he had made a bunch of mistakes, cleaned up his act, and learned that there is forgiveness with this group. There is forgiveness. Even for Nana, who could say, hello, I want this, and God was gracious enough to do it anyway. That's my story. How's that for fishing? Beautiful story of 
and, and all unique. Maybe God's called you to write a letter to express that. I don't, I don't know how he'll have you catch fish, but loving them unconditionally with God's love is, is the way to go. Thanks for sharing that. So with each um, zone of fishing, there's going to be a response that we have personally and then a response, a responsibility that we have collectively as a church. So when it comes to catching fish um, in our creeks, most of the work is done by you. Really, most of it is. We're not in your homes. You know, the church can't, you know, have a program. We can equip you, and we're committed to that, to doing, you know, sharpening your skills and being available for that. We have um, kids ministry. We have student ministry. We have these ministries to, you know, encourage and challenge and train and equip your kids. But ultimately, in terms of parents, you're the pastor, right? You are the fisherman for your kids, and we want to come alongside of that. Um, and we will be here praying for your kids. In fact, that's one of the things we'll do as we finish up this message is, is write down some names and then ask one other person to pray for people. I know many of you already do that. You pray for not only those fish in your pond, but you're praying for other people's fish and helping them to become fishermen. So the bulk of the response is on each one of us. In who, who am I fishing for? And the church wants to come alongside and help that. But the bulk is what, what you're doing in your um, situation. Um, one of the things we can do, and Linda just, boy, you did a great job. Thanks for doing that. Um, is we share fishing stories. And we can get ideas. And we can get encouraged. Because some of us have been fishing for years and years and years. And you're like, why am I still doing this? I feel like I'm hitting my head against a wall. But you hear a story like that, you think, okay, I think I could do that. And not necessarily exactly what God had Linda do, but listen to God and say, God, what would you have me do? I cannot catch this fish. What would you, and keep praying, because he wants them. You want them. You think you love those people? God loves them even more. That gives me peace for the fish in my life that don't yet know Jesus, that, that are close to me. I think, oh, God, please. And God reassures me, I agree with you. I love them even more than you do. And that gives me some peace. So I would like you to, um, just on a piece of paper there, you could even put it in your phone if you want to do that. Think of, actually, you don't even have to think of it. I'm sure they're right in your face right now. Write down three people that are in your pond, that are in your family, they are your closest friends, they are coworkers that, that are just on your heart. Write their names down. And I just want to give you a simple task um, Maybe many, and I know many of you are already doing this. Pray for them this week by name. Pray for them for God's blessing. Pray for an area of need. Ultimately, pray that God would rescue them, that they would come into a relationship, that they would meet Jesus. Three people. And then I would ask you, with one other person, preferably in this room, that you would take that little piece of paper and say, Here's my three people. Would you pray for them this week? And I would assume you would do the same for them. Pray for those three people that come to their mind. They're in your mind as I'm preaching. If you're like me, then they're already in your mind. You say, this person doesn't, they need a Paul and Silas and Timothy to come by the river and say, hey, here's the good news. Oh my gosh, it makes sense. I want to turn to Jesus. They need that. So pray for that. And then the bonus one is I would challenge you, um, not inappropriately, but talk to them this week whether it's a phone call, maybe you'll talk to them through a letter. You know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of courage. And do this in prayer, but say, God, I'm going to bring this up. I want to bring you up. 
and bring them up in conversation. Many times, at least in my experiences, that I'm too bashful instead of too bold. There's probably a few of you in here that are too bold and you need to pump the brakes a little bit, you know, give people space and love, but most of us probably are a little too bashful. So take that step, not only praying for them and sharing their names, but just pray and say, God, how would you, how would you have me bring up your name and tell your story? It, you, I did it probably in a minute this morning. It doesn't take any less power out of it that it's brief, as long as it's clear. Let's pray for help. Father, um, we have a heart for these people, but we confess we bumble. We're bashful. Um, we're maybe we're unprepared. We can count on your presence. We can count on your spirit's power to bring to mind scripture, bring to mind truths, bring to mind compassion. You did that for Linda. She was just willing. She was in conversation with you, and you were gracious. And that's not an isolated incident. This is something that you want. Your word is full of stories like this. And direction, as your follower, this is something that you've called us and commanded us to do. Have your way with us. In Christ's name, amen. So now as we move to communion... You know, communion has that word union, and it's we're unified in Christ, but we're also unified together. There's a community piece. We're together. We're in this together. You ever been in a sport where you're with the other people in the sport? There's a camaraderie, you know, that you have with that sport. Well, we're in the sport fishing business, and you're in a room full of fishermen, and we have that kind of camaraderie, and it's not just because we all come to church together. That's a good thing. We have relationship that way, but we all have unity because of our relationship in Christ. We are in Christ together. So as we take communion and we testify through our actions and through the words that we trust in Christ, he dwells in us, and we are in this together. Many of us, probably all of us, have a burden for somebody who's not in the family of God yet, who's not in community, who's not in a relationship with Christ. Share that together. And as we take communion, even look around the room and say, okay, I'm not the only one with a broken heart for somebody. I'm not the only one. Others do too, and we're walking together, and there's, there's power in that unity as we take communion together. If our deacons would come forward, who are going to serve communion for us this morning, I'd like to read the passage that guides us as we take communion. Lord, it's because of Jesus it's by Jesus, and it's for Jesus that we say yes to you and yes to your call to fish for people. Thank you for your presence here as we worship you, as we learn from you, and as we want to care for all people. Thank you for the sacrifice of living and dying and rising again. We pause now as a community to celebrate that and remember you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the High Street Community Church weekly message. We hope you were encouraged to follow Jesus. For more, please subscribe to our podcast. 
or visit us online at hscchurch.org.